morning. I just wanted to make a brief announcement. Um, as Neil indicated uh, in his opening comments last week, we're in the uh, we're in a series of lessons regarding the elders and elderships uh, as both a way to study the Bible, but as in preparation for a nomination process coming up uh, shortly. So there's going to be uh, this is the second of four lessons, and then when the four lessons uh, on elders and elders, the eldership have been completed, if you'd like to mark on your calendar, uh, September 25th, that Sunday, we will be passing out nomination forms for men uh, to be nominated uh, for the position of uh, some new elders here at Lehman Avenue. So uh, just wanted to make you aware of that. Uh, we'll be accepting those forms during that week and then we will begin the uh, interview and evaluation process as we move toward uh, some appointments in that area. So thank you for your time and please uh, give Hiram your full attention. Thank you. So far as we know, James Garfield, the 20th president of the United States, is the only president that was a member of the Church of Christ, a Christian. He was a good friend of Alexander Campbell, faithful preacher, and he also served as an elder in the Lord's Church. At some point during his tenure as an elder, he decided that he would run for office and that he would run for president. And it's reported that he said these words when he was prepared to make his transition. I resign from the highest office in the land in order to become the president of these United States. And if that's what he said, and if it's right, I agree with Mr. Garfield in that as far as it relates to responsibility, serving as an elder in the kingdom of God is a higher and more noble responsibility than that of serving as president of these United States. And he did. It's interesting to read the New Testament and see Jesus praying all night for his apostles before he selected them. Luke six and verse 12. And then those men going out and preaching the gospel everywhere. And eventually, Acts 14 and verse 23 says they ordained elders in every church. That language is important. This installation or this ordaining of elders in every congregation, because it says there's a point in which a transition is made. There's a point in which a man goes from not being an elder to serving as an elder. There's a point in which a person was once a general member of the congregation, but now serving in a special and in a unique capacity. But there's more. The New Testament not only says that individuals are ordained or installed or appointed to the eldership, but as you read the New Testament, it's interesting to note that the Bible says that God is the one involved in appointing the men to serve as elders. More than congregations vote or nominate or select individuals, the Bible says through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that this is God's doing. Notice some of the language that's used in the New Testament and how divinely infused it is that this is God's doing. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 talks about Jesus leaving gifts to men. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some pastors that teach and some evangelists for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. But Paul says Jesus gave that. Or First Thessalonians 5 and verse 12, it talks about those that are over you in the Lord or with the Lord's approval. That is, God has signed off on these individuals being over you in the Lord. First Peter 5 and verse 2, Peter says that they're to serve willingly as God would have them to do or take heed to yourself and over all the flock of God over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Acts 20 and verse 28. In the end, if a man is qualified to be an elder and serves in the way that God would have him to It's God who approves of them. It's God who appoints them. 
Now, in the New Testament, with the inspired apostles and the miraculous ability that they possess, you might imagine this is pretty easy to discern, that the apostles would approve of certain individuals in these congregations or send out preachers like Timothy and Titus to make sure that this was done. But if you read the New Testament carefully, we're not at a great disadvantage to them, though we don't have the apostles and we don't have the miraculous measure of the Holy Spirit, because God in his infinite wisdom has left us the qualifications. And so when you read in places like 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7 and Titus 1, 5 through 9 or 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, what you find in those passages, it's not just a mere random checklist of qualifications that a man meets before he jumps into the office. When you read those passages, when we read them, what we find is God's blueprint and the type of man that God wants to serve in this role in his church. It's in the spirit of Ezekiel 22 and verse 30, where God says, I sought for a man to stand in the gap and one to make take up the breach. And the qualifications that we read are there on purpose because God put them there so that God's people might be fully equipped to do the work that he would have them to do. If you have your Bible open, look at first Timothy chapter three and notice verse 14 and 15. This is after the qualifications for elders and deacons. Paul says, but I'm writing to you briefly that if I'm delayed, you might know how you ought to behave yourself or conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar in the ground of truth. Paul says, Timothy, I'm writing to you this letter, which includes the qualifications of elders and deacons so that you might know how you should serve and how you should be. And so the qualifications, I just want us to keep this in mind as we walk through them this morning. These are God's qualifications. And if a man serves as God's elder or in the eldership, it's not merely because people in the congregation say, I think this person will make a good elder. If we do it God's way, God approves. And God says, because he meets these qualifications, because he meets this standard, He can serve as a shepherd in the kingdom of God. You know, not everybody can be an elder, but the elders that serve must meet specific qualifications. These that God has outlined for us. But those that aren't elders or who don't ever intend to be or those who couldn't be must also read these qualifications carefully, because what we'll find as we comb through them is with rare exception, every one of them is a quality or characteristic that's to be possessed by every one of us as children of God. While the stakes are high and the standards are high for those that would serve in this role and God wants a level of depth and spirituality for them. Those of us who are not elders don't get to swim on the shallow end of the spiritual pool. We must all grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as you read these qualifications, yes, elders, but then search your own soul and say, am I this type of spiritual person that God would have me to be? I want you to favor this morning. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn it to First Timothy chapter three. But then I want you to do something else in addition to that. If you can. Now, if you're on your phone, you're on your own. I don't know what to tell you about this. But if you have a paper Bible, I want you to maneuver your Bible in such a way. Maybe just fold the pages. I was doing this as I worked on this sermon this week. I want you to be able to see Titus chapter one, five through nine and First Timothy chapter three, one through seven at the same time. This is where Paul gives the qualifications. First Timothy three, one through seven is to Timothy, who's in Ephesus. Titus one, five through nine is to Titus, who's in Crete. And we'll see the similarities in some places where there's some variation of wording and some difference. And I want you to get out your pen or your highlighter and mark with me. And let's just study together what God says about elders and what it takes to be qualified to serve in this capacity. Let's begin. Number one, first, consider their purpose. 
before we delve into the specific qualifications, I want you to notice that in First Timothy and in Titus, there are these purpose statements that we find as we see the qualifications listed. I mean, Paul will say things like you need to make sure that an elder has blank and then he'll say because of and he will list some of the reasons this matters because before we can think about what type of man would serve in this capacity, we should appreciate why the qualifications here to begin with and what we find is that the heart of the qualifications, God is interested in viewing these qualifications as a proving ground to make sure that the man has what is necessary to do the work. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 22, for example, Paul will tell Timothy, lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partakers of other men's sins. Keep yourself pure. The idea is don't be hasty to appoint a person. Make sure he measures up. Well, what are the purpose for the qualifications? One of them is in verses 4 and 5. It's to make sure he can lead individuals as God would have him to. It says he's to manage his own household well with all dignity or your translation may say with all gravity and his children must remain in his subjection or in submission. Notice the reason in verse five for if a man doesn't know how to rule his own house well, how will he take care of God's church? Paul says it's important that a man possess the leadership qualities capable first in his own home And then he can transition to leading in the kingdom of God, leading God's church. This is how it begins. This is where it starts. God says his family will serve as a sampling size to see just what kind of leader he is. This is common sense logic, isn't it? Paul is reasoning from the lesser to the greater. We do this all the time. We would say if he can't ride a bike, he probably shouldn't drive a car or fly a plane. If he's sketchy with scissors, don't hand him a saw, right? If he falls with quarters, he'll ruin millions. We say things like this and we reason this way. And Paul does the same thing. He says, listen, one of the reasons for the qualifications is so that we might know what type of leader he is. But there's more. Paul says another reason for the qualifications is to save a man from himself and from his soul's adversary. First Timothy, chapter three, in verse six and in verse seven, twice you might mark these. He mentions Satan or the devil. You know, it's not uncommon for the eldership selection process to begin and a person become frustrated or maybe a group of people become frustrated because, hey, they think they should be elders. And if they're not selected, well, they get up in arms about that. Appreciate that one of the reasons for the qualifications, according to God's word, is this. A man may not need to serve in this capacity. And these qualifications may no doubt save him from himself and from the ruin that would be his if he were to serve. Some individuals are better off not serving in the eldership so they can be faithful Christians. Notice verse six. Paul talks about a man that might fall into the condemnation of the devil. And then in verse seven, he mentions disgrace or the snare of the devil. Paul is saying a certain individual be thrust into this position and it would be to his own peril. It would be the worst thing that could happen to this type of person is for them to become an elder. And so the qualifications are there in part to welcome those in that qualify and weed those out that don't. In summary, Paul is saying it'd be better to be a faithful Christian and not serve in the eldership and go to heaven than to jump into the eldership and be in over your head and be sent to hell because you fell into the clutches of the devil. Neither give place to the devil. Ephesians 4:27. One of the reasons for the qualifications, according to Paul, is to keep a man out of the snares of the devil, because for some individuals, though they might desire the office and think it's the best thing for them. Paul saying it might be ruin for him. It might be wreckage to his soul. Paul says everybody can't serve. Now, look at Titus chapter one. Another purpose for the qualifications, if you notice verse nine in Titus chapter one and verse 13, you're going to find this phrase that he might be sound in the faith. 
he says that there are certain individuals that teach things they shouldn't. But an elder is to hold fast to the faithful word as he has been taught. Verse nine, so that he might instruct those sound in the faith and rebuke those that contradict. And then in verse 13, he says, elders, you make sure that you rebuke them sharply so that they might be sound in the faith. Many of these qualifications deal with the spiritual wholeness and health of the man who would serve as an elder. And one of the purposes for the qualifications is to make sure that this man that will be in charge to a large degree of helping others reach a level of spiritual maturity is to be sure that he's spiritually healthy himself. You know, I read about a man this week. His name is Lee Jordan. He weighed 454 pounds he was on his way to physical ruin and his ultimate demise because of bad choices that he had made. He said when he started working out, the best he could do initially was run in place for 30 seconds. That's the best he could do. And eventually he kept at it and kept at it and kept at it. He lost two hundred and eighty one pounds. And now he enjoys a successful career as a fitness coach. But how would it have worked if when he was obese and on his way to physical ruin, if he would have tried to serve as a fitness coach to others, it wouldn't have worked. He had to fix himself first and then he could help others. When you read in Titus chapter one twice about elder being sure that others are sound in the faith, that others are healthy in their spirituality. A reason for the qualifications is they serve as a sort of spiritual checkup for the man that would serve himself to be sure that he's fit and that he is what God would have him to be before he can help others. You know, elders are not perfect. They're not flawless. They're not to be spiritual gladiators that soar above those individuals that they shepherd. But God wants to make sure that they have the proper equipment and that they have what's necessary to serve in this capacity. And so rather than just reading the qualifications and saying he must have this one and that one and this one, Paul says there are some reasons. We want to see what type of leader he is. When I was in high school, I was involved in something called OJT, this on the job training. And you would go to these various places and you would work and see if you liked the job and you would learn as you worked. And if you did, then maybe you could pursue that career once you graduated from high school. The eldership is not a place of merely on the job training where we can see. Let's just see if he has the stuff. Let's see if he has the leadership capabilities. No, the eldership is the place in which the leadership capabilities that one already possesses is acknowledged by all. And then he joins in the ranks of others and serves to the good and glory of God. The qualifications keep a man from the snare of the devil, from the ruin that would be his if he fails to live up to the qualifications. Paul says he'll be a disgrace and others on the outside may look in as he has this double life in which his faith is not consistent with his day to day operations. And it'll be his detriment. And it's to make sure that he is healthy, sound in the faith himself. So that he can help others reach spiritual wholesomeness and health. Now, here's number two. Let's notice the character required for one to serve as an elder. I want to break the qualifications really up into two main sections. We'll look at the character that's required of these individuals and then we'll notice the type of the capabilities that they need to do their work. I believe that's how the text most naturally divides. If you look at what's said about elders in these texts, Paul is driving at a certain character that a person possesses. And then he talks about the things that this person can do. You know, today, if you want a job, you can look online and you can go to a place like Indeed.com. And Indeed is really taking over this above every other company like theirs in which they merge and they arrange the meeting for employers and those that are seeking employment to merge together and make the perfect meeting between them. You can look on Indeed.com, upload your resume, fill out the application. And with one click of the button or your phone, you can apply for the job. But even after you've done that, most companies will still request an interview. Even after they've seen everything you can do on paper, they still want to meet you. Now, you might wonder, well, why is that the case? The reason is because what they 
read on paper, tells them what you can do. But the interview will tell them the kind of person you are while you're doing it. Oh, they're interested in what you can do on paper. That matters. But more than what you can do on paper, they want to know what type of disposition, what type of person are we hiring? And so while the capabilities matter, appreciate that Paul deals also with the character of a man who would serve. Look at First Timothy, chapter three and verse two. He says he must be above reproach or blameless. This is also in Titus chapter one and verse six, this idea of above reproach or blameless. We don't use this terminology today, but the Bible uses it all the time of certain individuals. It's said about Noah in Genesis six and verse nine that he was an upright and blameless man, perfect in his generation. And he walked with God. Job was an upright or a blameless man, one that feared God and turned away from evil. Job one and verse one. And Daniel was so upright and blameless. Daniel six and verse four, that even the Babylonians said there's nothing that we can lay against this charge. That's what God's looking for in an elder. It's not that he doesn't sin or that he's never committed a transgression or that he won't want to point it. But it's that there aren't any charges that can stick when transgression or sin or weakness is pointed out in him. He has a penitent heart and he changes. He's blameless. He's upright. He's above accusation and reproach. Now, notice the second one, the husband of one wife. Now, this qualification has been the subject of much debate, but it doesn't have to be. What Paul literally says in the Greek text is he must be a one woman man. Well, what does that mean? It must. It means he must be a devoted husband to his wife. Paul says a one woman man. You can know you know why this makes sense. A man that serves in the eldership will inevitably be involved in countless interactions with those of the opposite sex. And what Paul wants to ensure takes place is that this man has shown a track record of faithfulness and devotion to his spouse. He doesn't have roaming eyes or a flirtatious spirit that will ultimately lead to his ruin and the wreckage of the congregation in which he serves. And so Paul says, make sure that he's been a faithful husband to his wife. That he's devoted that Proverbs 5, 15 through 19 describes him. He drinks water out of his own well. He's enraptured and intoxicated with the love of his wife and only hers. A one woman man. Now, that may seem elementary to you, but I've known places. A friend of mine preached and he was doing the similar thing like we're doing this morning, preaching through the qualifications of elders. And they said, hey, would you submit to us some names at this congregation? And countless people submitted good guys, but most of them were single. Listen, Paul says he has to be married. When he's appointed to the office, he must be married. Paul says nothing about him needing to resign in the in the case that his wife may pass away while he's in the office. That's not what Paul's discussing at all. He may still serve in that capacity. What Paul wants to be sure of is that when he entered the office, he was the kind of man that God would have him to be. That Ephesians 5, through 32 described him, that he loved his wife, that he was sacrificial in that love and that he was devoted to her. But neither with this qualification, the husband of one wife exclude a man who was married and who has a God approved divorce based on Matthew 19 and verse nine and who's now remarried. And God approves of that marriage. He's still the husband of one wife. He meets this qualification and he shouldn't be discarded because of it. Paul wants a faithful man because a man not interested in loving his bride has no business partaking in loving the bride of Christ or the church. And then Paul in first Timothy three and verse two gives three qualifications back to back in rapid succession. He says he must be sober minded. He must be self-controlled and he must be respectable. Paul wants to make sure that this man who serves in this capacity has a clear and poised demeanor that he can think through difficult things. That he's gentle. And that he's a man who's respected by outsiders because of the way that he carries himself. 
Don't you see that God is not just interested in what an elder can do with his hands or the knowledge that he has within his head, but God's also interested in what this man possesses in his heart. Is he the kind of person that God can depend on? There's a Latin proverb which says it's absurd for a man to try to rule others who hasn't first learned how to rule himself. Paul is saying, make sure that this man has his own life under consideration. He has his own life under control. Make sure he has the type of character that God would have him to possess so that he doesn't lead God's people astray and cause problems in the kingdom of God. And the last things that Paul says in First Timothy three, two and three. Notice what he says. This man must not be given over to vice. He must not be addicted to wine. He must not be a quarrelsome person or one that likes to argue, but gentle and peaceful. Paul says, make sure that he doesn't love money and that he's not a new convert or that he doesn't have a bad reputation with outsiders. All of these qualifications outline the demeanor he should have. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging and the one deceived thereby isn't wise. Proverbs 2 and 20 and verse 1. That he's not an arguer, a combative man, but that he's gentle. This is what Paul says about all men in Titus chapter 2 and verse 2 that reach that age of maturity. That he doesn't love money and that he's not mastered by covetousness or that outsiders can't lay any charge against him. Paul says, make sure that his character is impeccable because that's what God's after. In the end, God wants to make sure that the man that would serve as an elder is one who's been taken hold of by the teachings of Jesus Christ. The spirit has taken up residence in his life and it's evident by what we might call the fruit of the spirit or the evidence of what he bears. Somebody has said the fruit of the spirit is the qualification of elders most often misoverlooked. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those that belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its lustful desires. This is the type of man that God wants to serve as an elder. These are the qualifications of his character that God wants him to possess. Do these qualifications impress you? I mean, as you read through them, one man said these are the most remarkable, unremarkable qualifications listed anywhere. There's really nothing special about them. What Paul says in summary is, is he a spiritual individual? And we might read over these quickly and say, OK, Hiram, I've got it. What God wants is an elder to be a good guy. But that's not what Paul's saying at all. Paul's saying, I want an elder to be God's guy. He has to be God's man, marked by the authenticity of a life that's been impacted and influenced by the Holy Spirit. You don't have to go searching for his Christian qualities. You don't have to go on a hunt for his Christian demeanor. It's apparent and open for all to see, not because he has it on display for show, but it's just who he is and it can't be hidden. His progress is evident to all. First Timothy 415. His light shines so brightly that others are drawn to the God who gave him the light to begin with. Matthew 516. Paul says that's who you look for. That's who will be God's man. You know, I don't have to tell you that many people want nothing to do with Christianity want nothing to do with it, in part because they say Christians are hypocrites. Eighty five percent of the people that Barna Research and others surveyed recently said we don't want anything to do with going to church. Eighty five percent of non churchgoers say we don't want to go to church because most Christians pretend and we don't want to play along. Did you notice what Paul says in this text about the person that God wants to serve as an elder? We may say, well, that 85 percent, those are just numbers on a piece of paper. But, you know, that's not true. You know, people who've been run off from Christianity because some per some person in a place of influence lived a double life and wasn't all that he should have been. Whether through scandal or a church split or a selfish leader, they wreck ruin in the lives of people for years to come. And many of them never make it home. God is interested in a man that won't make a mockery of him, 
that we'll live in such a way that other people will be drawn to Christianity and not turned away from it. So as you think about elders, we should ask ourselves, does he like to argue? Does he have to have his way all the time? If it doesn't go his way, will he pick up his ball and go home? Does he love his wife? And does she know it? And does he show it to other people? Does he have any convictions or is he a spineless man that says, well, all truth is relative. You've got your opinions and I've got my opinions. Is he controlled by any type of vice or any type of covetousness? What's his relationship like with money? Is he tight fisted or is he irresponsible? Sometimes we talk about elders and people say things like, oh, he's a great businessman and he's got lots of money. It's interesting to me. Paul mentions none of those things. It's as if Paul isn't concerned of whether or not this man is a CEO or a janitor. What Paul wants to know is, is he God's person? Does he possess those qualities? Would people in his family, in his neighborhood or on his job be surprised to walk into a church building like this one and find out that he's an elder? If the people would say, I can't believe that you're a shepherd in the kingdom of God, you're a leader in a church somewhere, then he's not God's person. What type of character does he possess? Does he walk in the spirit? And if you took a walk in his shoes, would he walk you right up to Jesus Christ? If we live in the spirit, let him also walk in the spirit. Galatians 5:25. Paul says that's the character. Now, let's notice the capabilities. It's not enough that he can do that. He has certain things, but he has to do some things. Stephen Covey says leadership. What you do has a far greater impact than the things you say. Paul would say in First Corinthians 11 and verse one, make sure that you follow me as I follow Christ. People won't outgrow their leaders. And so what type of person is he? Yes, that matters. But also what can he do? Notice three things that Paul says about this man's capabilities, what he's able to do. Paul wants to make sure that he has these three capabilities. Notice first Timothy chapter three and verse two. It says that he must be apt or able to teach. And notice Titus chapter one and verses nine through 11. It says holding fast to the faithful word as he has been taught that he might be able with sound doctrine to convict those that contradict. He must be able to teach. That's number one. Paul says able to teach. Now, this word can also be translated. Most English translations don't do this, but it could be in first Timothy three and verse two translated as he's a teachable person. Both ideas are present in the text. He must know something, but he must not be a know it all. He must be somebody that still can be taught and instructed. This doesn't mean that he has to teach an auditorium Bible class or be an eloquent orator that stands up in a pulpit and teach. He may teach privately. He may teach in various other ways. But Paul's point is this. He must know his way around the Bible comfortably, like a chef knows his way around a kitchen, like a pilot knows his way around an airport. He must be at home with the word of God. He must be a workman that shows himself approved by handling the text properly, but also have a healthy disposition where he can be taught by others. He must be able to teach, have a good handle on the Bible. He must be apt to teach. He must also be a host. Paul says in Titus chapter one and verse eight, if you look there, he says he must be hospitable. Now, this is a requirement for every Christian. Romans 12 and verse 13 says that part of living this sacrificial life, the life of a living sacrifice is we're given to hospitality. We're to use hospitality one to another without grudging. First Peter four and verse nine. And an elder must be hospitable. What does that mean? It must it means he must be a lover of strangers. It means that he talks to visitors. He welcomes them in. He's in the home of others, but others also are in his home. He welcomes other people in people that aren't like him. It's not the case that he merely mixes with the people in his circle of influence, his peers, people his age, people with his same educational attainments or social status. No, he's friendly. He's a lover of strangers. Maybe you've said this about yourself. People sometimes say this. He or she or maybe even I 
I'm not a people person. I always wonder, well, what type of person are you if you're not a people person, right? We say that about people, but you couldn't say that about an elder. He doesn't have to be an extrovert, but he's not allergic to people. He's hospitable. Hebrews 13 and verse 2 says, don't forget to entertain strangers because by doing so, some have entertained angels unaware. He must be able to teach. He must be hospitable, a welcomer of strangers. And then notice number three, capability number three, he must have his children in subjection. Now, you've got to look at both passages for this one. First Timothy three, four and five and Titus chapter one and verse six. Paul says, make sure that his children are under subjection with all gravity or with all dignity, because if he doesn't know how to rule well his own children, how will he take care of the church of God? And then in Titus chapter one and verse six, Paul says, listen, make sure that his children are. And depending on your translation, you may have faithful or believing. Someone has said we are what we are at home or no less. If he fails at home, he's a failure everywhere. If he can't get a response at home, he won't get a response in the kingdom of God. Paul says, make sure his children are what they should be. He's got to lead them. Sometimes Paul's words have been misunderstood. Paul did not say his children had to be Christians or that a man can't serve in the eldership until his children are of the age where they've responded to the gospel. That's not what Paul says. Titus one and verse six may be misleading in many translations where it says that he has to have believing children. But the King James and the new King James handle this word piss this properly. They say that his children must be faithful. The point of this text is not his their belief, but their behavior. It's about how they respond to their father, not to God. And while it may be preferable for the children to be Christians and every elder will want their children to be Christians. That's a preference from man and not a requirement from God, at least to enter the eldership. Paul says that's not the goal. And you can see this when you look at both passages. Paul would not tell those in First Timothy that the children merely have to be under subjection. But then in Crete with Titus, well, they've got to be believing children. No, the point is, make sure that the children respond properly to the father and that he has them under his control. Notice Titus chapter one and verse six. He says, believing children or faithful children. And then what else does he say? Not accused of riot or unruling or your translation may say not accused of debauchery or of insubordination. The point is not whether or not they responded properly to God yet, but do they respond properly to their father? God would not place a requirement on a man that's beyond his control. You can't make anybody become a Christian. That's not what Paul's after. How good is this man at making other Christians? No, the point is, how good is he at leading those under his charge and under his care to the degree that he should? God's the best parent I know, and he can't keep all of his children faithful. And it's not a failure on his part. He says, I've nourished and brought up children and they've rebelled against me. The ox knows his owner. The donkey is master's crib. But Israel doesn't know my people. They don't consider Isaiah one, two through four. And so that in and of itself doesn't disqualify a man. Are his children those that are smeared with sin, that make the nightly news or that have a bad reputation in the community? If that's the case, he's disqualified. But if they're under his subjection and maybe they're 11 and 10 and nine, they haven't obeyed the gospel. That doesn't mean he's not qualified yet. Are they faithful? Are they under his subjection? Notice the three things. Paul says, I want to make sure he can handle the Bible, that he's a teachable teacher. I want to make sure that he's a great host, that he invites strangers in and that he has a handle on his family. Those are the capabilities to be possessed by the man that was serving the eldership. Time left, but I want to walk briefly through five mistaken views about the qualifications and then we'll extend the invitation. It's always been the case that when it comes to leadership, people are sometimes mistaken. The disciples were. They thought that leadership was about possessing high positions and high seats. And Jesus said, no, it's about service. Mark 10, 42 to 45. And so it is with these qualifications. Let me just give you five mistaken views that we need to make sure that are corrected as we comb through the qualifications based on what the New Testament says. Number one, sometimes perfection is demanded. 
you know, you can read these qualifications and make it so that nobody qualifies. You can demand perfection from people and we never measure up to perfection ourselves. Romans 3.23 says all have sinned and are falling short or coming short of the glory of God. It's not something done in the past. It's present tense for everybody. We all come short. We shouldn't read these qualifications and demand perfection. Listen, from heaven's view, the stakes are high enough, but we don't get to up the ante because we want to. We don't get to put these men on a pedestal or in a situation where we demand perfection of them because God doesn't do that. All men have clay feet. Nobody's perfect. All elders must possess every one of the qualifications, but no one elder possesses any one of them perfectly. And so we make sure make sure to be reasonable, be sensible and be scriptural. Here's number two. Beware of elevating our favorite qualifications. Sometimes somebody says, you know, it's the most important thing that a man can teach the Bible. That's what matters the most. And we say nothing about his attitude. Is he on the jerk for Jesus committee? Just because he knows the Bible doesn't mean necessarily that, hey, he should be in the eldership or, you know, I really want to watch his wife and his children. But what's his reputation like with outsiders? Here's the point. Take the whole counsel of God. Don't read through and pick your favorite qualification, the one you think matters the most. You know why? Because according to God, all of them matter. Paul says, I haven't shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Every one of the qualifications matter. And we can't get up and say, well, here's the one I really want to focus on. And you're not strong enough in this one for me. Or he's really strong over here, but weak in these other areas. The whole counsel of God or we'll have imbalanced men in leadership. Number three, sometimes the qualifications are written in pencil. And this is a mistake. What I mean is that sometimes a man may be a seasonal person that's qualified. I mean, well, he's been nice the past few weeks. Maybe he should be an elder. And he did teach that Bible class once upon a time. You know, God's not interested in a man possessing these qualifications merely written on his heart in pencil, but it has to be engraved in permanent ink. But you, old man of God, follow after righteousness, peace, godliness with a pure heart. First Timothy six and verse 11 are the qualifications his moral compass. Do they describe him at all times? Is this the type of person he is? Because if not, he's not God's person. Here's number four. We sometimes use the wrong standard. Beware of thinking about merely the men that serve right now because they're not the standard for the eldership. Beware of thinking about elders you've seen in the past. Well, my granddad, well, your granddad might have been great, but he's not the standard for the eldership. And when I was growing up, we had three of the best elders. Well, that's great, but they're not the standard for the eldership. The standard for biblical elders are the passages we've studied this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. Well, I knew an elder could quote the whole Bible. That's great. But Paul didn't say that. He just said, be able to teach. They had people over every Sunday, but that's not what Paul said. Paul said, just be hospitable and be welcoming. We can set the bar too high or too low. Beware of using the wrong standard. People are not the standard. The passages are. The man that desires the office of a bishop desires a good work and make sure that the good work that's described in the New Testament is our only standard. And here's the last one. We really mess it up when we take it personal. Some people read these passages about the qualifications of an elder And the person that they think qualifies the most is themselves. They can't think of anybody who meets these qualifications better than they do. But if other people don't join in an agreement with them, they're devastated. You can go to heaven without serving as an elder, but you can't go to heaven misbehaving as a Christian. If it happens that you believe you should serve, that you believe you're the most qualified person in the kingdom of God to serve in the eldership. And it just so happens that you're not appointed. If you really understand the qualifications, you'll appreciate that Christianity is about serving God, whether you have a title or not. He that humbles himself will be exalted. If you would only be faithful to God so long as you were in a position that you desire, then you shouldn't serve God at all. 
we should appreciate that we don't need to take it personal because in the end, it's not about us. It's about Jesus Christ, who is our ultimate example. All of the qualifications we read about ultimately point to a person. What we're looking for when we think about biblical elders is, does this man remind me of Jesus? Acts 4 and verse 13 They took knowledge of Peter and John. They saw they were ignorant and unlearned men. And they said, those men have spent time with Jesus. It's the question that the Greeks asked the Philip in John 12 and verse 21. Sirs, we would like to see Jesus. And that's what we should say about men that would serve in this capacity. Jesus was never lifted up with pride. He loves his bride perfectly with everything he has within him. He didn't like to argue, fuss or fight. He was gentle, but convicted and courageous. He was the perfect man. No wonder he says, I am the good shepherd. He was and is the perfect one. John 10 and verse 11. And elders are to measure up to that standard to be like Jesus Christ to the best of their ability. And as we think about biblical elders, we should look at the cross of Christ. Look at Jesus and his sacrificial love and example and say, we're looking for men that remind us of him member of the church and you say, well, I haven't measured up myself. I'm reading these qualifications. And you know what? Even if you don't want to serve as an elder, even if you never do, none of us have God's permission to be biblically illiterate, to be cold or standoffish to strangers, to love to argue or to be quarrelsome, to be bitter or angry, to be short tempered, to have a bad reputation with outsiders. None of us do. And so as you read these qualifications, it's really about being a spiritually mature person to the glory of God. And then when this life is over, going to glory with God. We're going to stand and sing a song to encourage us, as is our custom. One day, every one of us will bow before the chief shepherd. And when that happens, there'll be one question that rises to the surface above all the others. And that is, have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the lamb? Have you been under his staff, his crook? Has he shepherded you all your life long? Have you submitted to him? If you've done that, you'll hear well done. If you haven't, If you read the Christian qualifications and you say, I haven't obeyed the gospel, I haven't been living up to the gospel, make a change so that when he sees you in the last day, he'll approve of you and he'll say, I'm well pleased with you. You're my son. Come home. If this is your invitation, if we can help you introduce you to Jesus, the chief shepherd or reconcile you to him again as you repent and confess and request the prayers of the church. If this is your invitation, come now as together we stand and as we sing. Come unto me, his message repeating, words of the master seeking today. Going afar upon, upon the mountain, bringing the wandering.